And so we wouldn't just, because something looks like it works in an organisation, I think we, uh, it, it would be a valid criticism to say, well, that's an organisational principle that doesn't necessarily fit in the church. Cause, so I think we always need to start with scripture. Uh, and that's the lens that we need to look through. And if there's helpful things in business, I don't see that there's any problem with bringing those things in. But um, as long as we've looked through that, that lens mm. and thought about it from a yeah, spiritual point of view. Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. My name is Joel and it's wonderful to be back here with you, whether you're listening to us on your favourite podcast app or watching us on YouTube. We will wave for the camera to say hello. Hello. Um, and speaking of which, we're saying hello to uh, Tim, our regular co-host. How are you? You're back on the podcast. Back again. It's great to have you here. Yep, back in black. You are wearing black yeah. again, but you've, I think you've made that joke. Have I? That comment before. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Um, you can fact check that. <laughs> Someone on the internet can fact check that for us. Uh, and we uh, welcome Karen, uh, training pastor of Sorrel Revival Church, back on the podcast Hello. after a while. How are you? Yeah, I'm here in pink. <laughs> back in pink? Back in pink. No, no, I don't think I wore pink last time. Is it pink? Well, would you call it a pink? What would you call it? I don't know. Rose. Rose? Rose? Salmon. Mm. Salmon? I don't know. Salmon? No, it's not salmon. There's a colour called salmon, which is not that bears no resemblance to the fish. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm here. Dusty, <laughs> I'm dusty, on the pink, dusty rose. All dusty. Colour. I like yeah, that dusty, dusty yeah. rose. That's not bad. Mm. Well done, um, yeah. guys. We're talking about momentum in ministry. That's what we we're, we're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Pink, black ministry, um, uh, and the reason that we're looking at momentum in ministry is for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is that uh, this year marks ten years of Soul Revival yeah. Church since it began. Um, and that was, you know, we started with a launch team of about 30 and we, we kind of think, well, kind of think, we're, we're pretty clear on that we have about 500 people coming to the church now. So about 10 years we've grown to about 500. Mm. And we're also, our planning day is coming up and we're also looking at what we're doing in the next 10 mm. years. So that's part of the reason we're looking at momentum in ministry. But we always start every episode with a story or a cultural artifact. And I thought that, uh, well, we thought that we could come across... Uh, we came across. We we tried to come up with some ideas, and we're like, "What can we do?" But like, why don't we just talk about our experience of growth in Soul Revival Church? Yeah. So my question was, "What are your experiences of growth at Soul Revival Church, and um, how has it impacted you?" Karen, do you want to go mm. first? Yeah. Well, I joined while uh, when not right at the beginning, but the church had grown to about seventy-ish people, I think, mm. and um, and it was at um, meeting at Pack, the uh, original sort of shared meeting space president avenue. president avenue community church that's what p-a-c-c stands for yep yep um and my first impressions were that it was a really vibrant um loving community i was overwhelmed with how much we were welcomed in and um you know it, it already felt quite vibrant and biggish oh, well, you know 70 people it was had a really nice feel it wasn't really mm. wasn't in the maybe it um would have felt much different if I'd come in at the 30 people stage, but it felt like it was pretty vibrant and growing. Um, and then was part of the journey, I guess, from there to now being in the, the factory and having a very big space and mm -hmm. seeing that growth happen. And I think you actually mentioned before we jumped on or pressed record that 
you started when we were at Present Avenue Community Church and then we moved to the factory mm. and that was a, a, a real sign that, oh, we need a bigger venue. Yeah. I remember we were outgrowing yeah. Present Avenue Community Church yeah. and we were like, we need another place to, yeah. to meet in. I remember one of the first times we came and um, my son and his wife came with us and we sort of came in there was absolutely no seats available <laughs> at all uh, and people from sort of near the front got up walked to the back and sort of ushered us to sit in their seats. So, yeah, it was brimming and overflowing uh, at the time that I was sort of coming. So, absolutely need for a bigger space. I do remember uh, it eventually got to a point where, like, putting – because we would have to put chairs out to have our service, but then to – we'd have to pack it up and move tables out. Yeah. Move tables out so we could have dinner because that's always an integral part of how we do church. And it was just – like very tight and I ended up oh, eating yeah. dinner outside the church a lot yeah. of the times so l- yeah. luckily uh, I think it was summer most of the time which was good, which <laughs> yeah. was good but yeah yes. I remember that very squishy like how where do we stand and how do I help and how do I yeah. get out of the way yeah. if I'm not helping and then like yeah. how do you even just like get between the tables to sit yeah. down and yeah. all that kind of thing yeah. so yeah I mean when we moved to the factory where we are here mm. now in Kirawi it was um there was a lot more space yes it makes it a lot easier to do those kind of things mm. we we're talking about yeah. Tim any other experiences that you want to add to like examples of growth or like that you've experienced here at Soul Revival? Yeah, well, I think that initial growth and uh, we started coming in the October of that year. So, yeah, the 30 people in the lounge room had started in sort of the January-ish. We came in October um, and just about a month before the official launch, which I remember being November, I think, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so we were there for those last few trial services and, yeah, that same kind of feeling of... Um, you know, the room was full. Um, so, yeah, so that, that growth that Karen's mentioned. I think the other thing which has been really important for us as a church that fits our philosophy in terms of growth is then the planning of new realities. Um, and so um, we have consciously chosen not to, uh, you know, go for a, a one large gathering with hundreds of people mm. but rather multiple medium size and small gatherings um, and so we would rather see uh, a number of churches of about 100 rather than one mm. church of 500 so uh, that fits our, our model better in our philosophy of ministry and so yeah the other signs of growth is the ability yeah. to mm. bud and to, to send out other mm. um, you know groups of 15 to 30 to start new realities mm. and so the We've had that ability to do that over uh, the last 10 years. Um, and that brings with it all of the, um, I guess, the excitement and challenges of growth, which is, well, if you're going to duplicate a service, yeah. you need to duplicate the hospitality team and the kids ministry team yeah. and the welcoming team and the number of musicians and tech people that you have. And, you know, all of those, we talk about the service team. So it requires all of that. So I think that's the other really great sign of growth mm. is the ability to um, necessitate other mm. gatherings. Mm. And Karen, you've uh, worked along with our planning pastor, Joy, of what we've learned over the, those 10 years and mm. how we've uh, uh, done those extra, like planted those extra gatherings um, in different mm. areas. What do you think is the biggest, one of the biggest learnings that we've got from that after you've done a lot of reflection on that with Joy? Yeah. Um, well, I think... There was a, you know, a sort of a model that was used to structure the planting and it was, um, you know, based on an assumption that you don't need all of the structures, you just need a few of the structures. So, you know, four sort of key teams, you need 
people in those four, four key teams. Um, yeah, hospitality, kids, welcoming and arts are the sort of four key teams that you need. But I think on reflection, as we've looked at how has that gone, um, it became a bit clearer that actually we probably do need representation of all ten teams, and even if it's not doesn't represent ten different people, at least someone who's got that hat on going, oh, I'm going to consider for this new plant what um, some of those other teams look like, what does young adults look like, what does youth look like, what does Berea and community mm-hmm. groups and those sort of things look like, because they can be overlooked if there's not someone intentionally looking at that. So I think that's one. And we've experimented with different sizes. Um, You know, we've planted with sort of a group of 10 to 12. Um, I think the other learning is that, that, yes, that can happen. It does grow, but um, it can take a big toll on the people. So spending longer building that core team and having a little bit more, um, a bit larger team, not rushing into launching before Mm. we feel like it's solid and ready. Um, would be probably a couple of the things. The other big thing was where we meet and that, um, you know, when you're small, you can't, you know, we've got a big facility here for Kirraway now, but um, it's not that, that easy to just find another space to meet. So we use things like schools and that realisation that um, schools are really helpful and a lot of churches do use school halls. But for us trying to create this third space environment where it feels like a much more homely. Mm. Um, the schools were hard to achieve that and so that sort of... Because a lot of people would view a school as a second place, is yes, that right? So it, they don't want to go there for a third place. And it's clearly a school. So trying <laughs> yeah. to make it a third place where it's a place where people feel welcome to hang out and, um, you know, it just is... It, that was hard to achieve. So looking for spaces that are a little bit more able to be... Mm. Um, you know, set up and designed and, you know, with things that we bring in to make, be made to feel yeah. more homely. That yeah. was another important thing yeah. that uh, is, you know, a big factor when we think about our next plant and um, we don't want to rush into just using a space that's available but mm. does it have the characteristics or mm. the capacity to be shaped in the way that we would ideally like it to, to look and feel. Yeah, I think that what... Um from those reflections that you're saying is that what I love is that, that we've actually learned those things because we actually did it. Yeah. And yeah. even though it's been difficult in some respects, mm. but also really um, encouraging in other respects, I think the fact that we've actually done it and Stu talks about, mm. um, you might have heard him say on this podcast before, but uh, building a bridge to the new reality yep. that we can try things out yeah. and then if it doesn't work, we can always come back. Yeah. And I think that's what we've learned. That's one big thing that we've learned um, having planted 10 years ago. I was, um, really blessed to be part of the initial launch team mm-hmm. was that oh we can actually just try stuff to a yeah. cer- to a to a certain length or a certain time or mm-hmm. whatever and then just pull it back and that's what we yeah. were talking about in the last podcast with Ethan was saying hey let's just do this for a term like we were talking about how we move the youth group on a discord mm-hmm. and we're like we'll just try this for yeah. a few weeks and see how it goes and it ended up working out really well but yeah. Um, some some of those things don't work that well, and I think there's there's some of the key learnings that you talked about from yeah. from church planning. My other question is, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode a little bit, but why do you think? And we'll start with Tim, maybe. But why do you think it's important that we are actually podcasting about this particular mm. uh, this season we've called Momentum in Ministry? Why do you think it's important, Tim? Yeah, we don't. We're not just want to have our staff meeting online publicly for everyone to see. Like we're actually, you know, we we think that this is something that um, it, it 
expresses where we are currently. Um, but it's also something that a lot of people come up across um, is trying to think through well, how do we grow? How do we we, yeah. we have this natural well not natural it's, you know supernatural impulse because you know God has commanded us to go and make disciples mm. of all nations. Uh, he's asked us to pray for more workers in the harvest field. Mm. Uh, we know that from Jesus' parables that the kingdom will grow like a mustard seed growing into you know, a large tree. Um, and so because we are gospel-centered people, we want to see God's kingdom grow uh, in you know, in our local context and then yeah, support those that we can outside of that. Uh, we thought this would be a great conversation to have publicly uh, so that we can share from what we've learned so far, share mm. our thinking about what we're thinking mm. about doing um, and you know, to try and help others who may be at that point of um, plateauing that we've talked about um, and trying to work out or well, what are the things that help uh, local church congregations to grow mm. um, and how do we help best um, equip others to do that. Mm. Um, and so that's what certainly the feedback that we've had on the podcast is that people who are finding the conversations we're having really helpful, that they're, yeah. they are reshaping or rethinking the way that they do things. They're uh, wanting to experiment with some of the things that we've experimented with they're learning from our mistakes and then trying to um, incorporate that into their local practice um, and so if this can be hopefully another season where we're able to equip others uh, to think strategically about church um, prayerfully about church and how god may use us in our local context then um, yeah that's a really wonderful thing to be a mm. part of mm. Anything you want to add to that? Okay. Um, yeah, just uh, that I think that you know we we certainly aren't setting ourselves up to be experts on yeah. this idea of momentum. <laughs> but one of the things that I think is really valuable, and why I think we podcast about it as well, is we're really blessed to have quite a large staff team, mm. um, and not all churches are in that situation. And so we have an opportunity to chat with each other, bounce ideas off each other, um, learn from each other, uh, and not everybody is in that context. So I, I guess it's us trying to invite some of those churches who don't have. Mm. big staff to be part of the conversation with us as we explore it mm. and I think that's valuable it's always helpful mm. and yeah. I mean that's what we've always tried to do I think with the shock absorber was to almost document how yeah. we are trying to move forward as a church and I think that I'm trying to partner with Jesus as he's growing his church I think that's really important ways to keep talking about it rather than hopefully that um, some other church leaders and, and people within their congregations don't feel like they silo and let their silo off. I mean, we've been doing a, a series in Ephesians that talks about we're all part of one church. And I think that's um, a really important thing to be able to keep those discussions going. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done seasons on how culture is changing and like how do we how do we stick to the stick to the Bible's the biblical values that we are really important to us while we can observe the culture and then how do we behave as Christians within the culture. But then also we talked about evangelism last season where uh, everyone's not everyone there's a lot of attacking from either side we've seen that it's gone across history like that is another point is that we're trying to have a discussion mm. about what's next and then how we can do that all together as one yeah. church i think so with the idea of momentum in ministry that we're talking about uh almost unavoidably would be the word attached to that would be growth mm. i think we talked about plateau yep. and that's a representation of where something is growing why do you think it's important to talk about growth? And maybe we could perhaps come up with a distinction at some point of uh, what is healthy growth and what is unhealthy growth. Do you want to go first on that one? Um, yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, the, I, the, I guess the concept of plateauing uh, is 
almost the opposite of growth. Um, and, and, and it implies numerical, but it's not only numerical. So I think one of the things that, you know, in any organisation, whether you're a church or um, parachurch or business, it's very difficult to not continue to, to change. And um, so I think as a church, we, we do want to continue to grow. We want to grow numerically. It's part of our you know, mandate as Christians to do that. But um, it's not just that. Growth for us is also about growing in maturity and spiritual maturity in, in, um, and being healthy. And like I think a lot of churches would experience maybe like slow incremental growth, but when they actually look at the numbers there's turnover that happens and so you've, you know, you've lost a lot of people uh, as, as you've gained people. And so just the concept of what does it look like to be healthy, those people that are, you know, that are churning through and being lost, well, where are they at? Are they growing spiritually? So we want to make sure that every community that we, we uh, you know, plant and are, are part of are healthy, are you know, growing in their um, you know, spiritual maturity and that generally is associated with growing in number as well that's one of the indicators so yeah I think part of this process of thinking through momentum will be how how do we measure health how do we measure growth what does that look like it's not just numeric um, and yeah I think the the concept of growth is very linked to health I guess in my mind so I mean yeah. um, I was um, a question for you Tim off the back of what I'm going to say here I suppose but uh, we talked about uh, one key part of being evangelical in the last series was taking a personal responsibility for your faith. Mm. Um, and I think, and then hearing you say that about um, spiritual growth, do you think that's a key marker? Do you think of growth as like people taking responsibility for their growth and actually um, maturing in their faith, Tim? Um, Karen's already mentioned that, but I'd, I'd love you to speak to that as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely part of it um, because lots of different things can grow and you can have um you can have unhealthy growth mm. um and you know you think about you know you might have you know a cancer or even a non-cancerous tumor in your body that grows i mean it's it's foreign it shouldn't be there but it's growing so uh there's, there's this really good way of thinking about growth which is that natural things grow but you can also have unhealthy growth um, and you can also um grow for the wrong reasons um as well and that would might be a sign of unhealthy growth um so in, in the youth ministry children's ministry world we sometimes talk about attractional ministry as being a way of just getting a lot of people in the doors so you just put on the the best band night you possibly can or you spend a lot of money on you know skateboards and computer games and a fun environment um and maybe uh limit the amount of god talk that you do <laughs> so that lots of people come and they feel comfortable in your space um now you might grow in that numerically but you're not necessarily it's not necessarily good growth in terms of it's not producing long-term disciples of jesus um or you know you can sort of end up with this bait and switch you know, like i come for the band and oh we're gonna mm. sneak in jesus in the back mm. door kind of thing and <laughs> it's just yeah so we do have to be careful when we do think about growth and define it in ways that um mm. are in line with scripture um but, but having said that as i said there is God expects his kingdom to grow. It is the mustard seed that's growing into a tree um, and we are part of that by God's grace. He's been invited us into that. Uh, and so I do think that we a sign of healthy growth will be numbers, but it will also be a deepening in, the, um, in faith. And so uh, my little 
triangle of faith that I often talk about is, you know, head, heart, hands. It's cognitive, it's affective, and it's active. So I want to be growing in my knowledge of Jesus um, by learning more about him, reading his word, being further equipped. I want to be growing in my affection for Jesus, grow deeper in my love for him relationally, to feel close to him. Um, and then I want to be growing my active expression of faith, which is that I actually go and obey his commands, that faith without deeds is dead. So I want to go out and yeah. do the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. So we want um, healthy churches which are growing their people in those things. Yeah. Um, and we should expect that under normal circumstances, a church that is growing their people in those things will also be growing the number of people mm. who are coming to those things should be growing in the uh, missional um, effectiveness of those things. Um, and with all of that, we also have the caveat of uh, we are in, particularly in our post-Christian, post-secular kind of world that we're in, um, we would also expect that it's going to be uh, less normal for people just to come to church. So we're, particularly in Australia where we are, we're a number of generations away from you just go to church on a Sunday because that's what everyone in the community does. So of course you go to church on a Sunday. Um, there's no of course in our world yeah. anymore. And so we, I think, um, I can't remember which episode of the podcast was, we talked about the um, census and the fact that we see less people identifying with the Christian faith and I think it was Stu who made the comment that um, it's not necessarily uh, you know, because less people are Christians, it's just less people who didn't really have a living relationship with Jesus but would have marked Christian on the census, yeah. um, uh, you know, not identifying with the church, then they didn't really have a living yeah. active involvement with anyway. So I think there's a lot of things that kind of um, hold intention there. There's a lot of nuance you want to come to the conversation with. Um, but to try and boil it down uh, to its essence, I don't think it's unbiblical to talk about growth. It's not unbiblical to be looking at your numbers and seeing how that's tracking um, and to also be looking at your church life and feeling if there is spiritual plateau, if there's numerical plateau, if whatever your markers, biblical markers of success, if there's lack of prayerlessness, you know, if you're prayerless, if your prayer yeah. has plateaued, okay, yeah. what's the kickstart to growth? So all of those things are mixed in um, and it's important to hold all those things in tension. Um, and also, large part of what we're going to be talking about is those number because it is a mm. something that we can measure. It's a tangible yeah. thing, which is not all there is to say about healthy churches, but is a significant part of what it means to measure healthy churches. So it's like the kind of growth. That's really what, you, what we're trying to, to think about. Um, you know, I mean, you said that it's important to be. It's important for us to be nuanced about it. Um, we kind of talked about healthy growth. What do you think are some examples, without having to be too specific about them, of unhealthy growth? What do you think would be? Well, I think one. I mean, this is a well documented example because um, <coughs> uh, you know the church made it public, but it was you know Saddleback um, in California. Uh, they did a report. I'm, I think we're going back 15 years now. This uh, is Rick Warren's church, this is, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Rick Warren, who's um, as of this week, I think, uh, yeah, finally retired and oh, given his he? last sermon. Okay. Um, so, but they did this big mm. survey of all their people. It was well documented at the time. Uh, and what they realised was that they had a really large thriving church. You know, it's, it's thousands, maybe even 10,000 people over a weekend. Uh, and yet what they found was that spiritual... Um, 
yeah. maturity and you know biblical literacy was quite low, mm. and that made them rethink. And, they, and so part of their readjustment and reassessment at the time was then to go, oh, okay, we have grown numerically. Like we can see very observable. And again, mm. like I think Rick Warren started with people in a lounge room and then yep. it was you know tens of thousands over yep. a weekend so clear numerical growth um which is not necessarily all bad you know there was but there was things that had that had come at the cost of so it had cost, come at the cost of deeper discipleship mm-hmm. it had come at the cost of deep maturity and deep yep. biblical literacy uh and there was they had a moment of reassessing okay well how do we obviously we don't want to lose the the goodness of lots of people on site hearing the message of Jesus, we also want to, you know, um, offset what is lacking. And so that would be one example of a church that's doing well on one of these metrics, um, but realising and recognising that that's come at the cost of another metric. Um, At the same time, you know, if you were just measuring, you know, biblical literacy, um, but your actually numbers of people in the building was plateauing or going backwards, you would think, oh, okay, that mm. seems to be out of balance as well. And I think the biblical picture is that healthy churches, healthy Christian communities uh, are those who are growing in their maturity and because they're growing in their maturity are reaching out and therefore more people yeah, are coming. Um, because uh, uh, what we talked about last season, that evangelical impulse to go and tell your neighbours and your friends about Jesus actually comes out of really healthy, your own spiritual health yeah. and your own spiritual maturity. Mm. And so it would be natural and we would expect to see that people who are growing in their faith are also growing in their missional nature. And so mm. they do go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah, cool. You, anything yeah, to no, add to that? No. no? Well said. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I think it was well said. Well, um, I, I do have a question for you though, Karen, because in uh, the last few seasons we've often um, found a certain type of text or um, uh, YouTube videos or something to yep. bounce off on in how yep. we actually structure this season. And uh, you are our uh, training pastor, as we said. You actually run our Berea um, mm-hmm. intern training program. Uh, you're actually doing a series based on the series, the season that we did on evangelism mm-hmm. uh, previously. Yep. You're doing that right now with our Berean interns. But we're also looking forward to this momentum series into mm. into the Berea course as well. So you've yeah. done a lot of work around that. Uh, and one of the, the particular texts that you've looked at is something called Breakout Churches mm. by a, a person called Tom, Tom Rayner. Do you yeah. want to give us a, a summary of that and why why we're looking at books such yep. as that? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think it's helpful to look at, you know, texts and things that, um, you know, the, where other people have done the thinking, <laughs> have done the mm. analysis and, you know, we can learn from... Mm. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of different literature. Um, mm. It's helpful to bring it in, but I always think that it's really important for us to look at what what does the theory say, or what does you know this this text say, and how does it apply in our context. So, um, yeah, the the Tom Rayner book is um, I think really it's it's a little quite uh, it's not a recent book. It's a little bit old now, but mm. I think um, what he did was look at he, he based it on um, Good to Great, a Jim Collins book, which looked at what. Why do some organisations who are good um, become great? What what are the factors that lead 
to something that is already good and thriving suddenly become really great. And it's a very popular business book, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there's some really good principles that are directly applicable really to you know, any context. Um, but, it, but it's very businessy and it doesn't really apply in directly to uh, a church organisation or, or not-for-profit. And so he did a little bit of work on that and um, did another social monograph that looked at, well, how does that, what does that look like when it's not a profit-based business? But what Tom Rayner did was look at, well, that, that concept, that principle happens in churches too. Sometimes churches plateau and stay sort of at that same level for a long time, mm. but then all of a sudden experience this breakout growth. And so he looked at, and I can't remember the number, but um, interviewed and got data from quite a lot of churches and compare and looked at, is there, is there one factor that you know, you just need to, you know, what's the magic, the silver bullet, the magic thing that enables a, a church to move from plateau to suddenly growing again? And, you know, as you would expect, he found there's not one single thing, um, but there are some principles that he noticed that every church that was able to grow, you know, and move out of that plateaued stage had in common mm. with um, with each other that the, the churches who remained good but plateaued didn't have. So I think it's helpful for us to draw on that you know that sort of research, that mm. learning, and then think about what does it ha- what does that mean for us? Does that apply in our context? What could we take on board um, to influence the way that we think about our growth? And mm. you know I don't think that um, you know well I guess coming out of out of COVID. In a lot of ways, lots of churches probably would feel like they're in plateau a little bit. Like I think we've numerically we've actually continued to grow, um, but as Tim said, growth is a lot more than that. So I think as we have hit this sort of ten-year season, ten-year point where we're we're planning for the future, it's timely for us to go. How healthy are we? Do we have all of the things in place that are going to um, help us to continue to grow? Mm-hmm. And so do you want me to go through some of the things that... that uh, I was going to say, yeah, so what, what strikes you the most about what Tom Rain is talking about in regards to perhaps our situation and how other churches yeah. can learn from it? Yeah, well, I think that it, there isn't just that one thing and, you know, we're not looking for what's the secret that we have to make sure we mm-hmm. have. I think, you know, that it's a, it's a process. Um, he talks about, you know, that momentum comes after there's been some struggle and some growth um, that, you know, and that... Uh, there is transparency and openness to look at ourselves and go, what do we, where do we need to grow? What do we need to do to, to continue to grow? It's not, um, you know, we're not digging deeply into our strengths and just running hard. We're, we're looking at and open to feedback and input and critique from other people. I think that was one of the things that was really important, that in his research, the churches that didn't um, go through the struggle and the hard times and um, actually work it through and, and be open to what was God doing and what's God saying and what are other people saying that they need to do. The churches who didn't get through that were the ones that went into decline, but okay. those that were able to, um, you know, wisely analyse what's going on and make the changes and put things in place that were going to mm. facilitate growth, they're the ones that were able to, mm. you know, grow. And so it's things like what type of leadership do we have in place um, uh, you know, are our leadership well equipped? Are we outward looking? Are we biblically um, based? Are we prayerful? Are we, you know, healthy as leaders ourselves? Um, you know, do is is reaching out to the community a priority for us, or are we being 
inward in our in our you know sort of focus those mm. types of things do we want to equip um, and share leadership and equip others to also grow into leadership because one of the things for us is as a church planting church is that we need to continue to ri- um, raise up and equip leaders to lead in these other plants we're not as Tim said we're not just trying to grow some mega church where one or two leaders up the front can sort of do it all we're not we're not that um, that sort of model. So we want to continue to raise up leaders. So one of the things that um, Tom Rayner found was leaders who lead, uh, who have a focus on outward focus, who have a focus on equipping other leaders to bring them with them, who share it, who, you know, praise others, um, but who also accept responsibility when things don't go so well. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of type of leadership that we need to take us into the future. So one of the things that I think we do is self-reflect. Does that describe our leadership style? What do we need to do? to strengthen up our leadership so that mm. we are in a position to be able to support, a, a, you know, growth, um, you know, into the sort of next era of our church life. So, yeah, that, that's one of the things. And that ability to go through the struggle, I think, and not, um, you know, actually look at it, not just hide it, not just go, oh, that was hard. And so COVID, I think, is an example. We come out of it, we don't just go, oh, that's ended and let's just keep Thank going goodness it's over yeah, yeah. and but we actually look well how's that impacted us where are we weak what and we start looking at shoring up the structures and mm-hmm. um caring for people who are still feeling the impact mm. and that sort of thing yeah i mean yeah. i think that's good leadership in any yeah. context that you're in but i think it's especially important yeah. in churches we t- we've talked about how it's really important to understand what's going in mm. culture but not yeah, bend to the will of culture if that makes mm. sense. Um, Tim, I was going to ask you. That I thought some really interesting points there by Karen saying that churches need to be self-reflective at certain points. And right now, for us as Oral Bible Church, at ten years is probably a good time to do that. Mm. Um, but I'm just wondering, in, you consult with lots of different churches, um, primarily in children's ministry, but also in other areas. Do you see other churches doing that most of the time, or do you think that they are just trying to get through each year and not really look forward or even look backward and reviewing what they're doing and perhaps changing what they're doing? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think the the aspiration would be, I think everyone, like you, you talk about people, oh, you need to self-reflect in order to grow and people intuitively go, oh, of course, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but th- does it happen? Does it happen? Yeah. No, I think a lot of um, people that I end up consulting with, um, uh, the, the business people talk about is the um, the important and the urgent. Mm. And often the, the important gets lost mm. um, or tyranny sacrificed. Of the, urgent the tyranny yes. of the urgent, that's mm. the phrase. Yeah. Um, and so you just keep doing what's in front of you. Mm. Um, yeah. And that can mean that you never step, stop and uh, look at the important things. I think one of the benefits of my role is that that's exactly what people do when I meet with them because all of a sudden they they've got to stop mm. and reflect. Yeah. And so that's... Uh, the, a key part of what I do with people is to get them to stop and reflect and to think outside of the um, the urgent and the yeah. imminent. And uh, one, one of the phrases I've picked up from another ministry friend is the idea of balcony time. Uh, and so the idea is, you know, usually in particularly children's youth ministry, it's very hands-on. Mm. And you're, you're down at the ground yeah. level. You, you're running programs. You're writing curriculum. Uh, you're delivering talks. You're preparing for the next scripture lesson. Um, you're making craft, you know, uh, all these kinds of bits and pieces. I was at, you know, came up late last night buying stuff for craft for this afternoon for, <laughs> you know, the kids for, you know, our, whatever we're doing. And... So you, you're constantly doing this on the ground level things. Uh, but this phrase is, you know, getting balcony time is when you take time to actually go upstairs 
um, stand on the balcony and look down over your ministry and you take stock of, well, how is it actually going? And that's this mm. reflective part, uh, is to be able to stop and do assessments, do evaluation. How are we actually going? Are we achieving the things that we want to achieve? Mm. Uh, do we know what we want to achieve? Uh, the number of uh, children's ministers I talk to who don't really have a clear job description. Um, yeah. And so therefore it's really hard to measure whether they're being, you know, quote, or quote unquote, unsuccessful mm. in their ministry because they don't really know what success is meant to look like. Yeah. Uh, they haven't been given the, the definitions. And so, yeah, I think that's part of this taking stock and doing reflective mm. processing and thinking about uh, is so important. The other thing I think which probably hampers uh, children's and youth ministries is uh, high turnover or insecurity of job. Um, and th- this is the thing, I mean, before we started recording, Karen, you mm. were saying that one of the outcomes here is yeah. longevity. Yep. Mm. Um, and so maybe we'll talk about that yeah. later. But that is something that I think that hampers um, children's and youth ministry is when you have rotating um, roles, people come for a couple of years and then leave uh, or you, you're vacant for a couple mm. of years and then you employ someone, they're employed one and a half days a week uh, and they, there's only limited things that they can do. And certainly, anecdotally, uh, I can say that the churches I've seen thrive in youth and children's ministry is when you've got uh, full-time or close to full-time employed specialist who is longevity is either a sure thing or they have proven they they have been there for seven years. And one of the markers that we use in my team at YouthWorks to talk about what um, effective ministry is uh, is we say at least a seven-year commitment to the role um, because that, again, anecdotally, after from many, many advisors over many, many years, that's kind of the, the cumulative wisdom is if, unless you have a children's or youth minister there who's able to be there for about seven years, which is basically seeing a cohort of kids yeah, from kindergarten to yeah. six or seven to 12, mm-hmm. if, if you haven't had the opportunity to do that kind of span, um, then, yeah, we've seen effectiveness significantly decrease. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So uh, the, the two things I picked up from you guys is important if we're looking at momentum to have <coughs> leader or leaders that are in there for a long time, they're well established, they've mm. been there for a long time. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but also they also within that longevity need to be self-reflective and helping mm. the leadership as well as the congregation looking at what have we done, reviewing yeah, right. it and looking where we need to go yeah. forward. Because you could be there for seven years, but you've just been on the hamster wheel the whole time. Yep. Uh, and that yep. is a – all you'll be doing is maintaining mm. ministry. Yep. Uh, and you won't, you won't be able to hit this growth point, which is what, you know, Raina talks about, mm. um, is this, you know, pitch upwards from just yeah. that plateauing of just life as normal to actually hit that growth point. Uh, really requires you to have had that self-reflective moment and not yeah. just spin in the hamster wheel for yeah. however long you're there for. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I've often thought about in uh, like in my previous roles in organisations that you know you'd, you'd look at someone and say oh, they'd say oh yeah I've got ten years experience and it's like well is it ten times one year experience or is it ten mm. years experience? Have you actually reflected on what you've done, learnt from what you've done? grown and changed your practice gone through that difficult moment that yeah, you were talking that, about. and i think that's where the, these two things are connected that the length that it's not just the fact that someone's been in a role for a long time um in tom rayner's research he found that the average that um 
every leader who was in, who was a leader of the breakout churches, the ones who'd been able to grow, um, had an average exceeding 21 years of right. tenure in a role. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that tied with going through those difficult moments, facing the brutal facts of them, growing through them, allowing God to grow you and change you and stay in those spaces and then the congregation and the you know the community gets the benefit of your growth mm. and your you know your development as mm. a leader. That's um, mm. I think that's part of what it is mm. that why those two things are important together. Well, speaking of leadership longevity, you mentioned Rick Warren. Tim, I just had a look. Uh, he did preach his last sermon uh, this weekend, just gone, mm. but he preached his first one in 1980. Yeah. So he'd been there for 42 years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a clear sign of like. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how it grew to be many thousands of people. Mm. I mean, that's probably one of the factors that he was there for a long time yeah. and was still reflective, as you yeah. were saying, about mm. canvassing his uh, the congregation of his church and yeah. saying well, the spiritual life probably isn't where we would like it to be, but yes. it's still an example yeah. of but that. That was, a long t- that was actually quite a significant amount of time ago, wasn't it, when they mm. did that survey and then they yeah, changed yeah, their yeah. practices. Yep. Yeah. And, and I don't know what their practices are now, and I don't know if they've done a follow-up survey in, yeah. the, in the last 15, yeah. 20 years. Um, yeah. The, uh, I, th- I think this is not really what we're talking about, but the maybe the shadow that lives in the good thing, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Stu would talk about, of longevity of leadership is um, is the succession planning, mm-hmm. and this is something that um, you know a number of big churches that you know as, as I look particularly in the American scene, uh, yeah yeah when John Piper kind of finished up as the key pastor of um, Bethlehem Baptist Church. Um, when uh, yeah, other significant leaders of big churches have kind of stopped, retired, moved on, and what has that meant for those churches and those? I wonder if someone's done a study on this um, mm. who has looked at those churches that have been able to have significantly long ministries pass on to someone else, and then that church has then gone through another growth period, or yeah. has that plateaued, or has that declined? And what have been the factors there? I think there's a, a mm probably a bit of a tangent for what we're talking about, but that, mm. that comes with that idea of if you are going to have longevity of leadership um, and that is going to hopefully um, lead to these growth points, you also need to have the succession planning, I suppose, um, would be the term to then think about, well, how do you do that, you know, pass mm. that on? Um, and in the church world, it's not, usual certainly in our circles to have someone who is there for that long uh in fact a number of our structures um discourage uh the that length um and sort of see you know maybe 10 years in a church would be a good tenure but you really should be thinking about moving somewhere else and i think anecdotally i've heard that described as you know you can sort of grow stale, um new experiences Mm -hmm. often people are looking for a different challenge um and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect yeah. on Rainer's research to, you know, if you need to have done the 20 years to have seen some of those moments, mm. what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of, I mean, career progression is a bit crass when you're talking about ministry, but it's that, it's that kind of, yeah. yeah, this is the vocation that you're in. Mm. What does your vocation mm. look like? Um, how do you, you know, use your best gifts for God's kingdom? Mm. Um, thinking about some of these longevity yeah. issues. And I was just also reflecting on the idea of unity in this too, that and trust and that sort of thing. Like when you go through difficult thing with someone, you know, that and you get through it, get through the other side. There's often a, a bond that you have. And so thinking about those those experiences across a congregation, 
those churches who've faced tough stuff, who've worked through it together, and the leader stays on, that's got to help to create, uh, you know, to strengthen the relationships mm. between mm. the mm. congregations. So, mm. which is obviously another one aspect of the healthy measures that we're wanting to see in churches. Yeah, yeah good trust. Um, yeah. Yes, and that, because that's really important, I think, because we're coming up with kind of two different maybe models or approaches is that we're saying that some of the experience that you're talking about, Tim, is that the, the, the leaders change every maybe every 10 years or something. But Tom Rain is saying, oh, we need, you need to break out or to continue growth, you need a leader for a long amount of time. And I wonder if there's also this danger we've seen a number of, whether you want to call it mega church pastors or not, but pastors that are really centralised around the leader and the leader's charismatic abilities or anything like that. I wonder why... I wonder if that is maybe why there's a, a, a tendency to also say, oh, this, this leader should move on as well. Um, so I, I suppose my my question is, I mean, we don't really know what the reasons are between every single different church, but do you think that it's just that they are lacking one of those things that we're talking about or a number one of those things that maybe we're looking at, well, we need to have a leader that is leader or leaders that are self-reflective? But are in it for a long amount of time, but also don't get hung up on looking after themselves and kind of being, I am the reason that this church is growing. So and then so here's my final question. I've kind of gone around around in <laughs> circles there. Yeah. But I'm someone that like enjoys talking about business and this is based mm-hmm. on a business book. It's yeah. but he's done Tom Rain has done it as in a he's, reason. He's apl- yeah, he's applied the He's also analysed his own data. He hasn't mm. just taken a concept and yeah. transferred it to a. But he's context. using. It. I'm just saying the business principles. Yep. Which I think are really helpful, and I always, I very much, um, often side with that because that's kind of my background, but also yep. what I enjoy. What's the danger of only doing that if we end up making church a business or applying just business principles? What's the danger in that? Do you mm. think? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, in terms of, like, I think I heard two questions in, in what you were saying, but, but just I just wouldn't mind commenting <laughs> I do that on, sometimes. The, on the leader issue, like the yep. danger of um, having the one person for the long period of time um, and that person, you know, that the growth and direction relies on that one person. I think one of the things that came out of Tom Rayner's research was the style of leadership that was depicted in all of the churches that had that gro- that growth mm. were leaders who shared the leadership, who it wasn't just the central one person. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's one thing to say that I, I don't want to imply and I don't think we're saying that it needs to be this one charismatic person who, who takes the church mm. through those difficult times and grows because I think it's the type of leadership is um, one that is trying to yeah, share it, bring others with them, raise others up to lead alongside. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think the danger of applying, answer, to answer the other question, <laughs> the danger of um, just applying business principles without actually um, really thinking it through is that we all, I think we, we always need to look at it through the lens of scripture. And so we wouldn't just, because something looks like it works in an organisation, I think we... Uh, it, it would be a valid criticism to say, well, that's an organisational principle. It doesn't necessarily fit in the church. Cause, so I think we always need to start with scripture uh, and that's the lens that we need to look through. And if there's helpful things in business, I don't see that there's any problem with bringing those things in. But um, as long as we've looked through that, that lens mm. and thought about it from a yeah, 
spiritual point of view. What do you think, yeah. Tim? Oh, mate, I've got a few soapboxes here that I could jump oh, on. Um, let's do that. Light them up. <laughs> depends how long you want to go for. Um, the, uh, there's different number of different thoughts. I'll try and puzzle these together. So one is um, I my immediate gut reaction to a pl- to business um, language in the church is I kind of I shrink back from it. And I go, oh, it makes me really uncomfortable um, because, as you said, church is not a business. Uh, and I think that there's been a sim- significant detriment to the church by including too much business language and thinking of church like a business and the professional pastor. Yeah, yeah. The, the senior pastor is a CEO, yeah. um, and he's got these staff, and you need middle management. And like a, we, the last sort of number of decades, uh, four or five decades perhaps, there's been a lot of business. Um, Terminology, terminology, um, and yeah. philosophy brought into the church, and it hasn't always been really healthy. Uh, and I think it breeds a lot of um, unhealth in the church to do that. And so I have a quite a bit of an aversion mm. to that. Mm. Um, and I also, uh, partly biblically, but but you know the language of family and friendship of um, bodies and buildings and all those kind of organic language um, is more biblical. Um, now, part of that is just, you know, uh, where we are in history. They didn't mm. have, you know, business leaders you know, <laughs> writing, you know, um, New York Times bestseller books in the first century. But <laughs> the – so there's that that part of me that likes to go, oh, yeah, business is a little bit – makes me a little bit unsure, but I, I like some of those more organic imagery and thinking about that, which is why I think um, the third place mm. community um, – Sociology is more resonant for me. Like it, it sort of sits better with me. Um, now, having said all that, park that for a second, another little puzzle piece for me is uh, I've got a deep sense of um, what theologians call common grace, which is that you can actually look out into the world, you can study the world, you can study um, even social systems and the way that um, systems of business and communities work, look at them and think about what are the principles that are helping these to thrive and as long as we are assessing thriving and growth and maturity in biblical ways then we actually it's it's good and right to use those kinds of um, observations and think about how does that apply because the church is a social system it is people who are interacting with each other they are people who have real relationships with each other so as we look at the world um, we should see healthy social systems function like this um, and we say well we want to be a healthy social system uh, as a church uh, we are more than that we are not just a social system we're not just a social club um, but it, there is um, a goodness to looking at god's good creation and i think of it as thinking god's thoughts after him so a lot of the early scientists um, were like looking at gravity and looking at biology and they're going how does this work? We know that God created it, but how did he create mm. it to work? Like, why is the speed of gravity nine point whatever it is? You know, like, what's going on there? And there, um, and a lot of those early scientists weren't saying, well, we don't need God. We're going to just use science. They were saying, no, no, let's think God's thoughts after him and see how he's made the natural world. Mm. And I think we can do the same thing with the social world. We can see how has God actually made healthy social systems to work and think about, therefore, you know, our church as a healthy social system will look like this. So... Um, that's kind of interesting as well. Um, and then my third little soapbox, just to put in there, is um, one of the things that most irks me about sometimes in Christian literature is they look at 
these things that you've noticed from business or from social sciences and then sort of baptise them with a couple of <laughs> proof texts from the Bible um, as if, you know, something that Jim Collins noticed about healthy businesses and you go, oh, and that's what Moses was doing when he appointed yeah. so-and-so. Um, and, oh, well, that's we know that that's what God's good design is because King David, when he transitioned yeah. to Solomon, blah, 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 and it's like, no, no, like we don't have to yeah. find these things in Scripture mm. for them to be good and right. Yeah. You know, just like we don't need to find the law of gravity in Scripture to actually know the law of gravity is a healthy part of how the world God designed the world to be. We also don't need to do that. And so um, I haven't read Rainer's books. I'm not sure if he is guilty of this. I've seen a few other books um, on yeah. church theory that often <laughs> tend towards that. Uh, so to put all that together, where's my little soapbox end? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to be careful in our appropriation of businessy type language because we're not a business. And I think we need to be clear and helpful in that. Um, but also, as we see good social systems work and we go, well, you know, healthy social systems that have a particular goal in mind, when they plateau, if they do these things and they seek to grow, we go, okay, well, let's define success, let's define maturity, mm. let's define growth biblically, Christianly, hold ourselves under the authority of Scripture to do all of that. And once we're doing all that, then how can these principles help yeah. us to do that better? Um, I think that's a good use. And so to baptise all of that, um, I would take it maybe to, you know, Jesus' parable of the talents where he, he gives the, the five to one and the three to another servant and the one to another servant and he expects them to go and use them well and to see the growth. And I think mm. if we're not thinking strategically um, about how we can best serve the kingdom of God in our local context, mm. in our church, it's a little bit like squandering the talent for me. It's yeah, it's the third servant that said, oh, no, I knew you were a harsh master, so I just put it in the ground um, and just let it sit there until you came back. And I don't think God wants us to just kind of you know, sit there in a plateau um, with our churches, and again, defining plateau biblically, etc. But you know, we should be using everything to our available to do the best that we can under God, prayerfully, by faith, knowing that Christ is the one who's working, it's not us. He is sovereign, we are not. We make plans, he makes, he brings them to fruition. You know, all of that sovereignty of God's stuff was really significant for us um, in our reformed evangelical world. To therefore um, bring that to bear on our church, I think we can do under God really good things. So, and here ends the sermon. No, I think that's a really good yeah. point. Did you have anything to add? <laughs> well, a, a practical example that I thought about of what you're talking about is, Karen, we've talked about this before, is uh, hospitality is a big part of what we like to do here at church and we think that you know there's a lot of um, great things that come out of sharing a meal together. Um, and uh, in discussions with other churches and also uh, with ourselves, um, uh, lots of people are interested in what we've been talking about, the shock of sort of, especially in how we do, do meals. But... Um, you've talked to me about how doing catering, catering, like getting it, getting all our meals catered, for example, yeah. versus um, having people on um, a once-a-term roster and yeah. um, cooking the food themselves and serving it's like a home-cooked meal. Yeah. Can you speak to that and say yeah. like why that's why make the distinction between yeah. those things? I think the the catering example is is almost like trying to apply the business principle of efficiency, yep. you know, and cost effectiveness. So. Really, it would probably be more efficient and cost us less if we contracted some catering company who could buy in bulk and all of that. 
um, and provide nutritious, high-quality meals and or if we want to compare ourselves to the world and say we want more, you know, we want better quality and restaurant quality and then, yeah, that, that would be the way that we do it. And so we look at it from a, a business point of view, go well efficient and cost-effective, best use of our resources, even throw the biblical you know, phrase of, you know, we'd be good stewards if we do it this way. Um, but it misses the principle, the whole purpose of the meal. It misses the the, um, the the opportunity to engage with each other in service alongside mm. each other. It misses the opportunity for us to, um, yeah, see hospitality as an opportunity to love one another, to sit around a table and, um, you know, share and grow. And it misses the opportunity of providing places for people to serve. Um, so, yeah, like it may be cost effective. And so that business principle... Sure, that, that you can justify that, but the principle of, you know, that we are a community, that we're loving and sharing with one another um, and, you know, around a meal is a really great way to do that. Um, yeah, I think you lo- you, we would lose a lot by applying and that, that efficiency lens. Mm. I th- that, and the, yeah. the yeah. fact of it being a home-cooked meal, I think, is there's also a real special special yeah. um, feeling or yeah. um, feeling of a, a, an enjoyment of someone yeah. that's cooked a meal. And yeah. it, it's a home-style meal that we have yeah. most of the time rather than uh, an efficient, plated-up, um, yeah. cooked in large batches kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I think that's the difference about yeah. it. And, and, again, the importance there that we have just defined what we think success is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so because we have a definition <laughs> of yeah. success, which is there's co-collaboration by the people who in mm. here. We're, we're providing people places for people to serve yeah. where you know valuing mm. relationality rather than efficiency like yeah you know, so we've had to carefully think about what do we mean by yeah. success and therefore yeah. what does growth maturity etc yeah. look, look like, like. Mm. um and so yeah that's yeah. an example yeah. of mm. bringing all those types yeah. of things together yeah i think that's really cool yeah yeah and you know the idea of inclusive that there's a place for everybody you, you know, you start going down the catering, let's be efficient, well, then everyone needs to pay and that will to be, it. you know, now we want to lift the quality a bit so now the cost goes up and suddenly we're excluding people who can't afford the cost that now we have to pay to cover the caterers, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all of those principles yes. that we're yeah. bringing and in. We also yeah. find that it is a fantastic way for anyone to get involved in ministry. Yeah. It's a really easy way to, whether you're even just mm. cleaning up or yep. chopping some carrots or yep. something, it's, it's something that it's really, it's a very low point of entry. And that's not to diminish the point no. of serving. It's actually a great opportunity for yeah. people to step into Yeah, yeah. It's a great ministry. way for a, a, someone that's just joined to get to know one another, mm. standing in the kitchen, <coughs> washing up. Like there's just a natural place to have a conversation. Mm around mm. a table mm. um, in the meal itself. That Just also, watch it. If I'm, yeah. if I'm uh, drying up, I might whip you with a tea towel or something. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you but know, that, that's uh, proof of uh, we're part of the same family, that's, that's isn't exactly it? Yeah. If you whip me with a tea towel, <laughs> I feel like, you know, yeah. we've got a might good not, relationship It might not here. be you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tim. I was just going to say, I mean, if, if acts of service is part of faith, yeah, that's right. then actually to deprive people of acts of service would be to diminish their potential for maturity of faith. Yeah, which is so what you're talking about. Yeah, so again, yeah. We, we've, you know, you gotta really think really carefully and biblically about those kind of measures. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I genuinely believe that people are growing in their faith, in their, you know, um, in their maturity as a disciple mm-hmm. because they serve, um, yeah. because of the 
effort involved yeah. because of the time commitment, because of the money commitment, mm. because of the way that you know they give out of themselves. Mm. So all of those things yeah. is growing disciples of Jesus. And when we define growth in those terms, we go, well, this is a really significant part of what we do. Mm. Absolutely. Is there anything else that just quickly, any quick points from Tom Rainer also that you wanted to bring up before we kind of wrap it up, Karen? Is there? Yeah, I mean, he goes on to say, you know, we talked before about there's not one thing. And so I guess it'd be important for us to say it's not just leadership and going through a crisis, yeah. um, but that there's a series of things that um, put a, a you know church in a good place for growth. And so some other things would be, you know, having the right people involved in serving in different roles, um, having, like you mentioned before, some of the the people that you talk with in your consulting work, they don't have clear role descriptions and things mm. like that. So that, you know, the churches who take time to clarify what people's roles are, who put the structures in place um, to suit the size of the congregation. So he talks about, you know, yeah, having the who, the right people and the right structures. Um, he also talks about that um, when the, the churches that were able to grow had... Um, they looked at what what's the the vision of the leadership. What are the passions and vision and skills and giftings of the people in the church community, and what are the needs of the community that we're trying to serve in in the you know wider community? Right. And if we can if we set our goals and vision where those things intersect, that was another um, mm. one of the examples of factors that were part of this pathway. Um, also, having making sure that we're not like the meals is a good example of this one that we want to do things well um but excellence and you know the the, you know professional sort of presentations is not the driver um that we everything that we do we want to do well but it's got to be theologically and biblically driven um not just efficiency we want to do things that are going to glorify god and do do them well and some you know if we do them badly that doesn't necessarily glorify God so there's a sense of we want to do things well but it's not just about again the business principle of excellence so that was another one and interestingly the the last one was the sort of idea of innovation that growth doesn't come from innovation that you know it's we're not looking for the 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 new idea that's going to just be the the ticket to growth but that innovation is adopted when and when we're growing and it can accelerate growth so being open to change being um, you know, aware of new ideas and bringing them in, but not expecting that that's the driver, mm. um, was another one of the findings. So that's really helpful. Yeah. And I think, um, I think across this season, we will continue to look at things like Some that them, and yeah. how and how mm. we can bring them out in a biblical, mm. biblical way, um, inspired by mm. by Jesus and and His Spirit and what yeah. and what we're doing amongst our community. I think that's a really important mm. way to look at it, rather than how do we. Increase the numbers, kind of thing, as yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah. So that's the things that I mean. I'm a, I've learned a lot during just this particular podcast. But some of the things I I uh, thought we were talking about is having a long term leadership is really important. But they also need to be really self reflective, mm. and also raising up leaders underneath them. The succession planning is really mm-hmm. important. Um, but also defining success. Mm-hmm. So we talked. You talked about vision there. I think that's really important. Yeah. But also. Uh, we talk about in at Sorrow Revival Church and in our shock absorber method of uh, theology, strategy, and practice, mm-hmm. and I think that's important from when, for our point of view as a church, um, going forward for the next ten years, is how do we maintain our theology, strategy, and practice principles, mm-hmm. but then also doing it within the next ten years, mm-hmm. and I think um, that's something that we can always keep. Can, 
continue to talk about. Uh, if anybody is interested, you can get in touch with us. Mm. And um, before I rattle all those things off, I was just going to say thank you very much for a very enjoyable podcast, guys. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. For, thank you, Karen, for jumping on. Pleasure. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tim, for your wise words as well. So we'll continue to talk about this stuff as we go in the season. And we will continue the season. Uh, momentum in ministry. Um, you can send through any questions that you have to joel at shockazorba.com.au. We can answer them on the podcast. Um, if you also want to just get involved in a discussion, we have a Discord server where we post all the um, the episodes come up there as well, but also we can actually engage on there during the week. Um, having said that, you can also check out the website. And something on the website that you might want to look at, and I'm very excited about this, is the Shock Absorber Conference, which is happening on the 29th of October this year. Uh, it's happening here at Soul Rover Church in Kirawee, and we're actually going to be able to do it in person which is really exciting rather than uh, online which we did do last year so we would love anyone who's listening anyone who's interested in talking about um, momentum in ministry or anything else that we've talked about on the shock absorber it times really nicely with how this season is going to progress so if you would like to come on saturday 29th of october we'd love you to come you can go on the website it is ten dollars to register your place just to cover the cost of food um, we're going to do some things around hospitality and church planning they're the two streams that we'd be looking at so really excited about that get in touch uh, thank you again mm. very much yeah. karen and tim for being on the podcast and we'll finish with one way yeah one way. One way.